You're listening to New Mommy at 40 podcast. My name is Victoria Latour Dunker, and I'm your host. Welcome to our community. It's a non-judgmental, safe, honest space for mature people who are entering parenthood. We are almost at the end of season one. So if you're new here, welcome. And if you're coming back, oh, thank you so much for making this community what it is today. Please take a second and follow, subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And let's get into it. Hit it. It didn't happen in my 20s. Who cares? Now I've got all this fancy wisdom to share. Hey, I've got this baby. You're getting the best of me because I'm a new mommy of 40. Wait, don't put that in your hair. Oh, oh. In support of Black Maternal Health Week this week, April 11th through the 17th, we're putting the spotlight back on this important subject with part two of our series we started in February by chatting with Tara Udovic, a 43-year-old flight attendant and entrepreneur who is the mother of a spirited and talented three-year-old. This has to be one of the toughest episodes I've had to get through so far. Tara's story is a cautionary tale for women everywhere, especially for women of color. After being single for many years and being asked why, she finally found her Prince Charming and together they decided to marry and start planning their family. Looking forward to the delivery of her rainbow baby, Tara and her husband entered the hospital anticipating what should be the happiest moment of their lives and instead found themselves in a nightmare. We'll talk about her delivery trauma and how she's turned her experience into a passion for helping women of color find their voices throughout their pregnancy and postpartum. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Tara. Tara, I'm so glad that you could do this chat. I know we 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 tried to do this before, but we have kids and young kids and both of our daughters were acting up <laughs> the last time we tried. <laughs> Um, you yes. know, there was a point I thought, oh, we'll just leave them in. But it was just getting too much for 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 both of us. But uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, as um, our friends heard in the intro, is that uh, you had also a very interesting birth story and also being a, a yes. woman of, of a mature age for pregnancy anyway, and how difficult that that time was for you and how your advocacy really I, I feel definitely saved your life. There was something that you mentioned in our our initial conversations about having this chat, but you were saying about there are people in your life that questioned why you hadn't had a child yet at your age that I thought was interesting. So tell tell me about that. Yes. What was that about? Well, if you're a single woman, and I guess if you look, what everybody says pretty, I guess social norm is that you must be married and have kids because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting, the societal norms versus societal reality. <laughs> um, that's not happening. And sadly, a lot of us, we're in, we're in the same boat. We're getting married later. We either have careers or we're doing other things or it just didn't happen. Right. And for me, it didn't happen. I didn't know why it didn't happen. And people were like, why aren't you married? Well, if I knew, I would have done something about it. <laughs> right. I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it probably could have happened with some other people. So, but I'm looking at my life now and say, Did I, would I really want that person to be my child's daddy? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I'm kind of glad it happened when it happened. I got married at 37. I'm a mature bride. But I think that maturity helps because I had a better sense of who I, I am and who I was at the time. I knew what I wanted. You know, we didn't have a, I, I guess, a whirlwind fairy tale kind of romance like Cinderella. We had, a, it was a very mature kind of um, well-mapped out kind of thing, I, I should say. We were both going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it piqued each other's interest. It wasn't like, oh, I thought you cute. Yeah, and all yeah. butterflies in, in, in the stomach. It was more like, 
okay, I'm too old for nonsense. So what do you got on layered cards on the table? Yes. <laughs> I found that that's the beauty too of dating later is that you, you mm-hmm. just, all the, it, it becomes what, what was, um, part of charm and, and cuteness and all that stuff and getting to know someone just seemed like fluff all of a sudden. It just wasn't the meat and potatoes of what you really wanted to get to when it came to dating somebody. It was just like, okay, I know who I am. I Now I definitely know who I am. Who are you? Because you should know by now, especially if you're looking at also someone of that exactly. same age range or older. So it kind of cuts out all the extra fluff in the getting to know you part. Exactly. You can just get to down to business. Like, what what are your life goals? What are my life goals? How do they match? Can we help exactly. each other? Are we compatible? Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. The, but so I wanted was, to go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, 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 please. No, my mommy brain just forgot. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> That is so real. It happens to me all the time. Um, No, I wanted to say, do you find that as a black woman in our community, that that expectation is even higher for us to have had children and be married at this point? Even for me to have children at this point and not necessarily married, because I remember going to my OBGYN for my yearly physical and she was like, well, you need to hurry up and have some kids. I was like, well, I haven't found somebody. Well, you, you don't need to do that. Just hurry up and have some kids before it's too late. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> right. And that didn't match so, your life values, really, right? Because you would correct. have done that already. Because I find in our community, because largely, whether it's African-American or from the African diaspora um, of people of color, uh, faith, mm-hmm. faith plays a very big part in our lives in our community. And with that comes an expectation too of having a certain, you know, a relationship in place prior to having children. And then also the importance of procreation as well on top of that. So you have this kind of, I feel like on top of it, societal, on top of societal expectations, we also have these expectations that some of our community also places on us as black women to the point I feel it also, let me know if you feel the same way. I think it also affects the conversation of infertility as a black woman too. There's this expectation that we don't have that code, that we don't have those problems. We can, we should be able to create, we've been doing it for, yeah, we're like rabbits. And I think that's, that's comes from our community. And it also comes from, I think the way we're portrayed in media too. It's like from the black mama figure that was just automatically nurturing and mm-hmm. knew how to take care of other people's children. So God forbid you're that black woman who has postpartum depression. It's kind of, even in our community, it's like, what? Like you should be, this is, what are you depressed about? God's got you. And it's like, yes, God's got me. And I know he does. And I, I that's fine. But that doesn't mean that I can't feel something that's that's different and exactly. it hurts, right? How do you feel? Exactly. I, I, I feel your sentiments exactly mirrors mine in terms of how I felt at that time. It was like, it was a question of your womanhood. Because mm-hmm. we were supposed to be strong black women, able to do everything, mm-hmm. leap tall buildings with a single bound, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and you're supposed to have your career and have kids, no matter how you got them, just get them. Mm-hmm. And to, to make everything all right. And then and then have, you know, the house and all this stuff, everything together, one big package. But nobody can, but how about if you can't? Yeah. How about if you can't, if you have if you have those values where you want to get married or have a part, partner or relationship first before um having kids and then even they look at you strange and say if you decided oh, I'm gonna go to a sperm bank and, and do it that my way people can still look at you strange like why are you doing it that way something's wrong with you you can't find a man right just, <laughs> right what happened to just like, have a kid do, just have don't. a kid just go have one I've, I remember people telling me that too well if you want one you can have one I'm like well I kind of want a happy home and a relationship and a good partner first is that okay so then it's like well if you go to a sperm donor then what's What's the difference? I got I got the kid you wanted me to get. 
exactly. <laughs> and then it's like, well, that's the wrong way. That's not natural. Or they can say something completely crazy. So it's like, if I do or don't, I don't. I'm in a catch 22. I'm on the wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I kind of decided before I even met my husband, I wanted off the wheel. And I said, I'm going to just do things for me and whatever happens, happens. And if people have a problem with me not being married or not having kids, that's their problem, not mine. And I'm just going to continue on. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the best way because the pressure of all of that is it's, it's not good for anyone's soul, anyone's spirit. And they're not in your home. They don't know what your financial, I mean, never have I heard in addition to those conversations, make sure your bank account's right, honey, if you're going to just go out and no. get these kids. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? You know, exactly. where is that aspect of like planning and and making sure that you can take care of yourself and exactly. someone else? And this is not against anybody else who who did not plan, you know, financially or all those other things. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in terms of, you know, all these these pressures that can be placed upon you as a single black woman in your forties without children. There are many ways that you can help and, and, and support a woman in this, in that stage of life. And one of them could be like, you know, how are you, how are you in your career? Do you feel solid? Is that, do you feel like you want to bring children into, you mean just a conversation of like, Exactly. What do you need? What are your needs? How can I support as opposed to the judgment of like, what's wrong with you? Exactly. If somebody asked me, well, do you want kids? Right. It'd be different if they asked if you like, do you want to be married? Do you want kids? You know, is this the path your life is heading? And I'll support you in that in that path. Yeah. But people were more like, oh, something's wrong with you. Oh, you need to go out there and find somebody. Go on this website. Go on this app. Um, go to this place, go to that place. It's like you'd be running all over the place. And it's like, and it's when I finally stopped doing <laughs> all of that and not pay attention to people. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to live my life and do me. That's when things started to happen. Isn't that true? That always seems to happen, yeah. right? When you silence out all the noise and you really just say, I'm okay with me. And this is what I'm going to do. I, I, I too, I felt like all these blessings all of a sudden just kind of almost like God was like, okay, now you'll hear me. Now you'll be able to hear my voice because you were just paying attention to everybody else and what they were saying around you. So now that you're still, your boyfriend, your husband's going to walk through that door. Five, four, three, two, boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So it's like, what do you call it? being anxious for missing out. I forgot the term they use. It'll come to me later. Okay. Probably next tomorrow. But <laughs> it'll come to me. But it's it's like um when you're picking a stock and because people say, they go get this stock and you and you just anxious you go get it and it's the wrong thing and then it tanks the next day and you're like, oh gosh, I'm out of all this money because you were just being anxious and being driven. Right. And I think that's what a lot of us women who who want to find that kind of relationship, we get we let people put this in desperate mode mm-hmm. and we go looking like a chicken with our heads cut off, running from here to there. And we end up in a bad situation at the end of it when we just need to just relax, chill, and then do what you're supposed to do. Concentrate on your purpose and destiny. And then the person who's supposed to come alongside you will come. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've got your your partner in crime, in, in life, in joy uh, came yeah. into your life. And so how soon did the conversation come up about kids? Because he had children before, Before. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So I married uh, somebody who's older, 13 years older than me. And um, he already had his life. And he already, we talked about it because he was like, well, you're young and you don't have any kids. And he said, it'd be unfair of me to want you to come into my life and marry to be married to me and I not accept the fact that you might want kids and I'm going to have to start over. So he was like, well, I'm willing to do that because that will not be fair to you, not give to not to give you the chance to have children. And he said, but you got the time limit on this. And when I turn this time, <laughs> you better have all the kids that you need because I can't <laughs> do anymore after that. <laughs> That's a real sentiment, though. I mean, I get that. 
he he did have to start all over again because what's the big what's the age difference between Leilani and his youngest his his other youngest that 19 or 19 years years. wow yeah that's that's definitely 19 yeah so so what was pregnancy like for you Pregnancy was scary for me um, because Leilani is actually a rainbow baby and I had had a miscarriage previously. So it was scary for me at first. And then um, especially that first trimester was very rough. Yeah. It was always a worry. And then when I got to the second trimester, I was like, oh my God, I'm free. I can eat. I couldn't eat pizza, which was, I was pretty mad about that for the Why? whole time. It gave me such heartburn. Oh, I could not look she would have just had more sauce. hair. That's all. She just would have had more hair. <laughs> That's I what I hear. Smell it. I craved pizza the whole time. That's probably why she likes pizza so much. And I, probably like a few, a month after she was born, I went to the pizzeria and I said, give me a pie. <laughs> like, give me a pizza. <laughs> Um, and I would say the last trimester, that was, um, that was where things were, it was, it was good. It started to like nest and, you know, and stuff. But then, you know, it was like, okay, it's time for you to go out. Cause she was kicking this one rib that I swear has a bruise on the inside of me. And I was like, you is not she needs to go <laughs> so I can get some ease and go to sleep. But um so I guess it was a mix. Yeah. I mean hair woman saying, Oh, my pregnancy was so wonderful. I, I can't I can't say it was so wonderful, but the experience I will never give back. But it was a I think is because of the worry yeah. from having had the miscarriage that kind of took away some of that let me just relax relax and enjoy enjoy this time yeah i mean that yeah. that's real i mean i i feel a lot of people can uh relate to the anxiety that comes especially after having a miscarriage and then now with a, a possible viable pregnancy um it, it's just it's really difficult because oftentimes um, some people don't have a lot of time in between those two uh, situations to really grieve and yeah. like get through it. It's like, and then some others, even 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 if it comes like years later, still have anxiety through that pregnancy because you're just you're worried. You're worried. So that's a that's a very common uh, feeling. Yeah. So now you get through that to that last trimester. She's she's coming. She's been kicking out, you know, kicking you in that rib to make her entrance into mm-hmm. the world. So guide us through the 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 delivery and and what that was like for you, because this is the part of uh, the story that I feel. It makes you catch yes. your breath a little bit. So. <clears throat> um. I was sleeping on the couch because that's the only way we had a couch in my bedroom and that's the only way I would get to sleep. And I had the best dream in my life. <laughs> I was floating and all of a sudden I was dragged back to earth with this pain that literally lifted me off. And now I was high risk, of course, because of my age and because of having a previous, previous miscarriage. So I was walking around for about two or so weeks, five centimeters dilated. So by the time I we get through everything, I water broke before I even left the house. <laughs> and so we're going, I guess, to get to the hospital, hoping, hopefully my doctor or somebody I've seen in that practice, because it was one of those practices where you have multiple doctors. But, um, and I thought I saw most of them, except I didn't see the one I got. <laughs> of course. So. Um, I'm, I got there. I'm already seven centimeters dilated. So I only have a few more to go. And, um, the doctor comes in 
who I've never met, he, a male doctor, and he tells me, well, I don't want to be here all day. Now, this is 7 a.m. in the morning. He said what now? I don't want, he don't want to be here all day, so he's going to give me oxytocin to, <laughs> he's going to give me the drug to induce me. What? I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize if everyone, anyone's ear just popped because I said that so loud. He said he didn't want to be there all day, so he was going to give you? Yeah. He like, we don't want to be, I was like, we're going to get induced because we don't want to be here all day. And I'm like, well, I'm already at seven centimeters. Yeah, but it's going to take too long. But I feel like if he had let me do it, because I heard that jug actually makes you, it makes it take longer. I was already doing fine by myself. Anyway. So. I don't know what to say. In that practice, they had me fill out a lot of paperwork telling me, you know, how I would like to be delivered and all of that stuff. I filled out all that paperwork. Everything was out the door. Um, one of the requests I had was not to have me lay on my back for delivery because that induced panic attacks in me. And that's one thing he forced me to be on my back so much so that I started to have a panic attack and I was like kicking and wildly like, you know, the, my husband and the nurse had to like try to hold me down because I was in full panic mode. Wait, so you went in, let's just review. Mm-hmm. You went in with a clear birth plan. What is like one or one recommended to most women who are giving birth to have a birth plan. You Correct. This bir- said birth plan was given to this practice. And the, the one doctor that you never met, because we do know that in family practices or in these types of practices, I should say, it is it is common for you not to get the actual doctor that you wished or you know could deliver you. They have been interacting with the most, uh, the most over yeah. the course of the pregnancy. But they he, this this doctor completely threw out your birth plan. Correct. Even okay. though I even had the, one of the nurses advocate for me to have. <clears throat> You know, it came to a point where they were like, would you want us to change your doctor? That's what it came down to. And it was just so much things going on. I'm in pain yeah. um, <clears throat> because I didn't have an epidural. Cause by the time I was like, hey, I don't feel that bad right now. And I'm already here. I didn't realize that about them two <laughs> last centimeters, how much pain those ones yeah. was. But I was like, okay, next time I understand. But um, yeah, I, she was advocating for me to get me in a comfortable position and so forth. And he was like, okay, this is taking too long. I guess he had a golfing game. I don't know what it was. Unacceptable. Just unacceptable. So exactly. who had? To, so is this the same, the same nurse that was advocating for you? Was she forced by the doctor to hold you down? No. Okay. That was a different one. Um the nurse who was advocating for me was actually kind of like, I guess she was the um, head nurse. She was the supervisor in charge and she was going around um, the rooms and, and trying to help me out. <clears throat> but it probably would have been a different story if it was my regular doctor who was great and wonderful, but I ended up picking the, she ended up picking the wrong day to get give birth you know to get born so I'm like, I the wrong no doctor. i mean it's so fu- it's so great of you and i think also something that we as women we as black women are very good at making other people feel good i think mm-hmm. even just in women women as in general because we like to take care of everybody but what happened to you was horrible like you can yeah. just now but and it's probably the best way you can process that moment that you can never get back, right? But you were yeah, not it, taken care of. You were not no. respected at all. No, he didn't listen to one thing that I said. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I didn't know, I felt when the baby came out. Well, let me just say this. I felt him doing something down there. I didn't know what. And I said, what are you doing? He wouldn't answer me. I'm like, what are you doing? And he was actually cutting me without telling me he was cutting me. 
it'd be nice if he had said, okay, ma'am, because of the baby's head, I have to cut you. But my baby was small. She was like five pounds, 10 ounces. She was very small. So, and her head was small. So I don't believe I needed to be cut, but he didn't even have the decency to explain that to me, that that's what he was doing down there. And I'm like, what is he doing? And my husband, he's nervous because he's seen the doctor doing things. He's thinking that something is wrong and he's trying to get the baby out fast. He doesn't know what to do. And he's scared because he, he doesn't want, he's looking at, I got my wife here and my baby and I don't want them to be in harm's way. And so he cuts me, the baby's delivered. I'm like, what's happening? He doesn't really talk to me. He does whatever. He's like, oh, you did that like a pro. You did it without any drugs. And he left. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow. The- that that's what happened. So almost felt like um lack of a better description, like almost like a kind of rape. Well, you were violated. Like being, yeah, without me being told. I'm asking questions to understand. You know, and I think like doctors need to know, like, I your patient is the person give you the most information about what you're what you're stepping into when you're dealing with a case and i had my body for what 30 and 40 years at that point i know my body best so if i'm telling you something you know then you should listen to me I, a little ant, little antidote before that when i um i was telling the nurse i had to make a bowel movement sorry ladies if this <laughs> disgusts you but this happens no when you, are giving birth. This is real. We keep it way. real. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm telling her I have to make a bomb movement. She's like, no, that's the baby pressuring down. You're a first time mother. You don't know. I'm like, yes, I know what I need. I, I need to make a bowel movement. And she was like, no. I said, okay, I'll give you the bedpan. I went and I made a bowel movement. And I told her, I know what I, I know my body. So, and I told her again, she said, no, it's the pressure and another bowel movement. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm like, I don't want to be defecating while giving birth. <laughs> and it Which happens. Has, it happens. It, it yeah, happens. it happens. But the fact <laughs> is that you knew that this was something that was a little different. You know what I mean? And it's like, what's the worst case scenario? Just bring me a bedpan. If it's the baby. Exactly. Success. If it's a bowel movement, success. I mean, you know, just... Exactly. Give me the bedpan. It's it's not that difficult to do. No, and it was just like I was. I felt like I was fighting everybody. Every every excuse was like, "Oh, you're a new mother. You're a new mom. You're newly pregnant. You're new this. You're new that." But like, without regarding the fact that I know my body, you know. And that's one thing my doctor that I did have. She understood. I understood my body because. When I was 13 weeks, I'm telling her, my babies, I could feel my baby move. And she's like, no, that's impossible. Usually 20 weeks. I'm like, I'm telling you at 13 weeks, I can feel the baby move. I know where the baby is. And I see the baby move because my stomach was pretty flat. And she was like, okay. So she put me on the table and I'm like, she couldn't find the baby's heart. I said, because you're looking in the wrong place. The baby's right here. Wow. And when she put it there, there was the heart. And I'm like, yes, because I know my body. And after that, she never questions me when I'm saying this is happening or that's happening because she realized I'm very in tune with my body. So it was afterwards that was really where a lot more disrespect happened and where, you know, I almost basically lost my life for them not listening to me at the hospital. (sighs) Okay, so... I'm getting a little emotional listening to you because because you're saying it's there's more of more disrespect, but I can't even understand how how already like what you had been through was already such a disrespect and a violation of your wishes, your body, your experience, that was so much for you to have to deal with at that time of bringing this this joy into your life. I'm so sorry. 
that you went through that. Thank you. Yeah. Because it felt like I was robbed from really enjoying giving this beautiful moment of welcoming my daughter into the world. I welcomed her with a panic attack, basically. Did you, before we get to the other half of this experience, did you ever get a chance to speak to the practice and to the doctor that you did have to explain what happened to you? I didn't really get to, I talked to her a little bit about it, but at that point in time, I was half delirious because of the other situation yeah. that was happening, um, which was more pressing at the time that I'm like, yeah, Let, let's take care of this situation here. Yeah. You picked your battles. I just was, you know, I think part of this discussion, I'm sorry, this is just so mm. horrific. Part of the importance of this discussion is that if if you had, if someone had heard of this story, heard a story like this, and not seen and not not been able to hear your voice uh, and from your own mouth, they would have thought mm-hmm. there must be something else that she. Had, I can't understand how someone could go through something like this. There's, there's, there's got to be something missing. But you're here. You are telling your personal story with vulnerability and honesty. When discussions come up about Black maternal experiences in this country, I feel like um, there's almost this disbelief of it can't be like birth, giving birth can be difficult for anyone you know um i heard of a story you know where someone had a difficult issue you know with with the hospital too but this what you are describing happens so often to people i mean i don't know about you but when i heard of serena williams's story Uh if people are not familiar Mm-hmm. Well, you should know who Serena Williams is. So let's just talk about how high profile she is. Yes. And she went through a situation when she was giving birth where her doctors ignored what she was saying that she knew about her her body and her health and her history, which was these embolisms that she had uh, in her in her chest, I guess, or her lungs. And she was telling them, I think I need oxygen. This is what X, Y, Z you need to give me. If anybody wants to look up the, you know, all the semantics and the details, you can look it up. But they ignored her. They they did the same thing of you're a new mom. Oh, you know, that's, you know, most people complain about pain, just relax and all this stuff. And she was not well. And she ended up literally was very close to having a stroke. She, she, by her advocating on her behalf, she saved her life. She was in a hospital. She had um, back-to-back surgeries just to recover from the first instance of being ignored that led to a whole list of other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's lucky to be alive. And I remember being in my own pregnancy, I was like, if, Serena Williams can be ignored. <laughs> like, what is the hope for a little Victoria from, you know, mm-hmm. 135th and Lennox? <laughs> like, you know, in, you know, in Harlem, like, what is, what's, what could happen to me? So this is a very important story for people to hear. I want to thank you for your honesty and, re- and reliving this. So um, thank you, because I, I'm sure this is this is difficult, but I, I really appreciate it. And I know our friends who are listening to this to really appreciate your candor. So. You so know, now I, mean, I want other people to know about it so they can help yeah. themselves. Yeah. And also, I want to take a moment to to acknowledge the role of your husband in that in that room as someone who loves you, who loves you so dearly, 
who has had other children, right? And he's in this, he's in this space totally un, unable to help you, which is what a partner wants to do, especially men. They want to solve. And I can only I can only imagine how difficult this was for him to watch you going through this and unable to help you or his baby in a manner yes. that would, you know, that would make a difference and uh, and having this doctor violate you in this way. It, I'm sure this was really difficult for both of you. So I want to acknowledge his pain and suffering yes. too as your partner. Whew. Okay, so Leilani's here. Um, yes. Did you get to hold her right away? Yes, I got to hold her, um, which was lovely, which was nice. And then, you know, they had to take her from me because she had a little jaundice. Well, they just gave her some light therapy, which worked fabulous. And um, we rolled back into my room and I got to rest. So I, they took, kept coming into my room, taking my blood pressure but they wouldn't tell me what my blood pressure was. Okay. Because my blood pressure is pretty low, usually normally low, even when throughout my pregnancy it was low. It was like, it didn't even hit 100, the, um, the top number. It was over like 90, over 60 something. It was always low. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. So I was like, oh, your blood pressure is good. And they, they kept going out. I had this woman keep forcing me to breastfeed. And I was very tired which I didn't understand why I was so tired, but it's like, oh, it's because you're a new mother, but it didn't, it felt weird. Okay. So I was like, okay. And I'm breastfeeding, breastfeeding, trying to breastfeed, but nothing's coming. And it was like, it was almost to the point where it seemed like she was yelling at me, like, you better breastfeed. And I'm like, well, then get the baby formula. <laughs> I'm like, if nothing's coming, give her food. I mean, and, you know, that was a, in itself was a whole nother pressure. I'm like, just give the baby food then. If, right. if I'm not producing enough milk, I, it hasn't come in yet. What am I supposed to do? Okay. So um, that was interesting. And so I would say on the Friday, I noticed a lot of swelling. And so when it came to take my blood pressure, I was like, um, my legs and um, the incision that the doctor made doesn't feel right. And they were like, oh, it's because you had gave na birth naturally, it'll go down. I'm like, okay. So I'm continuing to do what they tell me to do to wash myself and trying to pump and breastfeed and, and wake up every night because they have the baby right next to me and she has baby little Jack on her leg and stuff. And so I'm like, okay. And so it I, um, I gave birth on the Thursday on Saturday morning. Now they want to discharge me. Now I saw the doctor that Friday night and I also told the doctor, Hey, this doesn't look right. This is a different doctor. I've seen her before, but she and I wasn't as close as the doctor I usually saw. That was my primary OBGYN. And she was like, Oh, that's normal. She didn't even look at it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I get out, I'm getting ready to go. I can barely put my clothes on because my legs are twice the size that they've been. Now, my pregnancy was strange for the fact that I didn't gain that much weight in my pregnancy um, because the first I was just throwing up or I was not feeling well, I didn't want to eat. You know, it was just really bad. The second part is probably where I gained some weight, my probably gained weight and I lost. But at the end of the day, I ended up, when I gave birth, I was less, I weighed less oh, wow. than when I started. <laughs> when I, before I was pregnant, I weighed less than that. So, so now for my legs to be, I can't get in my clothes because my legs are now swollen twice their size. I'm like, okay, this is not right. So I, before I'm like, Hey, can you call the doctor or somebody to come check me out? Because something's not right. Because not only are my legs swollen, the incision is swollen. So it looks like I have four lips in yeah. my vaginal area. Right. I'm like, so I'm like, something's not right. Oh, that's just normal because you gave birth naturally. Okay. So now we put the baby in the car. I'm trying now to sit in the car seat. It's painful. 
and everybody's telling me, oh, just take some time and all, you'll be fine. It's just a swelling from giving birth naturally. I'm like, okay. So Sunday comes around, I'm in pain all day. I can't do anything for the baby, really. I can barely like breastfeed or do anything because I'm in a lot of pain. And I said, babe, we need to go to the doctor early in the morning. Now we had an appointment for our baby in that, that afternoon, but I was like, before we do that, we need to go see my doctor. She needs to see me. So I get into the doctor's office. I can barely walk. He has to help me out the car. I can barely move. Get into the office. They had me cut the line, I guess, from patients who were there because they saw that I, I can't even sit in the waiting room. And the doctor looks at me. She said, okay, something's not right. And she said, what happened in the, in the office? And I told her, you know, everything is swollen. And she t- now she's the first one, the first doctor. While I was in the hospital for three days, who actually looks at me and she says, I, she doesn't want to say anything because these are also her coworkers, <laughs> mind you, but I can see on her face, the communication. She's like, okay, let me draw some blood. She draws blood and she says, I'm going to give you, she had to give me codeine or something for me to walk out. Cause I'm, now I'm crying in the, in the room because I'm in so much pain. Cause I cannot sit. I cannot sit. Wow. And so. I'm there getting blood drawn and the woman looking at me and I'm just bawling because I'm in so much pain. So we get that she had some things. She gave me a shot to give me some kind of relief. We got some the drugs that she prescribed, went to my baby's doctor's appointment, which was across, which was a, another town over. And I had to be in a wheelchair delusional because now these drugs are making me loopy and I cannot walk in the hospital. They're pushing me all over the hospital with the baby. So seven o'clock that night, my doctor calls me, which I was like, this is an interesting call. She doesn't call me this late. And she's like, you need to come to the hospital right now. Pack a bag. You're going to be here for some days. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I'm like, why? She says, your blood pressure is this, this, this high. Now, then she told me like. They told me afterwards the blood pressures were happening before. I said, like, if y'all had told me the blood pressures before, I would have told you my, something's wrong because my blood pressure is going up, even though it's in normal range, but that's not normal for me. So when I got to the hospital, she told me, you have help syndrome. What Can you say that is, one more time? Um, what is it? Help syndrome. Help syndrome. I mean, which is hemolysis, elevated liver enzyme, and low platelets syndrome. And it's a life-threatening complication, which usually happens during preeclampsia. And the only way to solve it is to deliver a baby. But I had already delivered mine. So now I'm in this life-threatening situation. And basically, they put me in the hospital three days trying to stop me from having a seizure or stroke. And... um, if I hadn't been insistent, because even, you know, family members were telling me, well, you know, this is your first baby. And I was like, no, something is not right. Something is wrong. I'm, I don't care what anybody's saying. Monday morning, I will be in that doctor's office. And good thing we had that rapport where she knew if I'm telling her something to believe me that she had the sense to take my blood. Now, if they had to can take my blood in the hospital, they would have never released me from the hospital, which they shouldn't have. Well, Tara, so that's not I the was... only reason why they shouldn't have let you. Just in you saying something's wrong, saying that the pain mm-hmm. was unbearable, they had plenty of opportunity to actually look at the incision to see. Maybe they wouldn't have known that it was this help syndrome, but they would have at least seen that that's not normal. The other doctor from the practice that you had seen in passing could have looked at it, could have done the same. I mean, there are lots of opportunities here where Mm -hmm. someone could have done something to prevent you having to go home and be readmitted into the hospital. Mm -hmm. So So. now you you head to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then... And I basically have to give my baby to my my sister-in-law and my niece, my husband's um, niece, and say, listen, I don't know what's going to happen because you hear about women not coming back (laughs) all the time. And I'm like, you know, take care of her, you know? 
and I give them my my daughter, and they look at me like, you know, it was just a weird silence. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can say. How I'm did like, you find the? How did you find? Where did you find the strength to even uh, to to do that when you gave Lilani to them? It was clear that from what you're saying is that you had a feeling that this could go either way. Where did you find the strength to to give her to them uh, with that much grace, with that on your mind and your heart? No, it just had to be my my faith, my faith and belief, and that I'm like. I believe that this child will live and and do well, and it, no matter what, she has to. And so I, I, I did what I thought you know any mother would do <laughs> in that situation, where it's like you give her, you give put her in good hand, them in good hands, and like listen, take care of my child, and it didn't have to be said they knew take care of my child. Right. And then they were going to do their best with in, in conjunction with your husband to raise this baby mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. you, if that was the outcome. Mm-hmm. Oh, Tara. So, so you, you, you walk into the hospital, your husband is with you. Yes. And before they even give me a room, they are already, they put me in the back and they start dumping the, um, it's a magnesium mixture into my body. They're dumping bags of it to make sure that I don't go into to anything, having a seizure or having a stroke, which was good. Cause my doctor was right there when I, when I came to triage, she was right there and she was, she was like, take, immediately take her to the back. So that was that was the good part and it was good having her there because she knew me i knew her right. and i felt like we were a team we were in sync and so that was the best experience i had in this in those six days <laughs> right so you once you're released you get to hold leilani without moments of all that stress that you had before when you were able to spend some time with her. So what were those first few nights of really being able to bond with her like for you? Oh, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, just, I kept looking at making sure her hands, looking at her fingers, looking at toes, (laughs) watching her as she slept, watching her, you know, I probably wasted a lot of valuable time sleeping by watching her <laughs> while she was sleeping. Well, you only realize about how, like how important sleep is. They tell you, everyone tells you how important sleep is yes. in the beginning. But in the, in the beginning, you just want to stare at them. And then you realize down a couple of months later, you're like, ooh, that sleep. <laughs> how about that sleep? <laughs> that sleep bank. Yes. Yeah, that sleep bank. I'm, 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 I need more in my sleep bank. But um, what? What are you enjoying about being a mother in your 40s to Leilani specifically? Like, what are you, what are you enjoying? Well, I, I would say that Leilani is an award-winning academy, award-winning, I should say, actress. <laughs> she, she is a performer, and I guess... If I was younger, I probably wouldn't appreciate her brilliance mm. with that. Like the things she, little things she does, like how did you put those things together? And she loves to like sing and perform. She does stuff on beat. I, I think if I was younger, I probably would not have noticed all these little things that she does. Even like the other day, she comes up to me. She, no, I... I call her on her phone. No, she calls me from her tablet <laughs> on my phone. And she's like, welcome to my episode. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, where'd she get that from? Welcome to my episode. My name is Leilani. I'm like, okay. 
Hi, I'm your mother. You know, <laughs> I play along. And she has a, such a, a, a magnificent um, imagination. And she, you know, she'll come and tell me, Ami, this is just pretend. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's just pretend. Aww. I got you. How old is she now? You know, three. Wow. She's three years old. So she just stopped saying she's 20. She used to say she's oh boy. 20 years old. Oh, boy. And I said, you're three. But now she's, now she's saying she's claiming three. <laughs> Has there been like an adjustment? Because I, um, if you wouldn't mind just telling our friends what you do, because I know how I know you in terms of uh, our, our aviation uh, career, mm-hmm. or, or where I previously worked. But I, in me hearing what she does, I'm not too surprised because there's another aspect of what you do that maybe people um, even at work don't know about you. So tell us what you've been doing and your business. <sighs> well, besides the world of aviation, I do, I'm in entertainment. Um, See, I told you folks, I told artists. you friends, I knew why Leilani <laughs> was a performer because <laughs> the way that she was saying it was like, oh, she's a performer. I'm like, well, it's in her blood, Tara. But go on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, my husband is a musician. Um, and the radio, he, he used to do radio personality. You might get back into it. Cause that's how we met on the radio. Wow. Um, I was being interviewed with the artists I represented. Oh. And I'm um, also do, um, stage management and, um, and work with an award show in New York. So I, I do a little bit of a little everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at the time I met so, you, I think at the time you were m- managing artists, gospel artists, yes. right? Yes. So yeah, so it's in her blood. It's in her blood. Has that yes. been a big adjustment? Have you been able to basically do most of what you were doing prior to her arrival? Uh, to a certain degree. It's been an adjustment because I've, I have been running around a lot more. So it's like, okay, run, get the baby, boom, boom. You know, if I can't find someplace, she's coming with me. Yeah. Um, and then about me sitting down and really being creative. Sometimes it's not as easy as I would like it to be because it's like when I'm like, okay, I have five minutes to be creative is after she's falling asleep and now I'm ready to sleep. So I'm like, okay, I guess creativity is <laughs> not having it today. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, but thank God for these phones. Cause I get voice notes and I'm like, okay, let's do this voice note now and um, cover this and cover that. Oh, you use that as a way to remind yourself of what you need to do. Oh, that's mm-hmm. something. There you go. I yeah. should do that. Cause my, the yeah. fog is real. The fog is so real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The combination of the mommy fog and the age is just like, I don't remember sometimes what I, <laughs> what I wanted to do. So that's exactly. a good idea. Um, notes all of them I wanted to um, the other thing I, I think I loved when we were getting ready for this chat that you mentioned is that you, you your story and your uh, experience in motherhood so far has really made you passionate about maternal health and advocacy specifically, and also how your partner can play a role in the in the room with you. Um, tell me more about that. Tell us more about that. Well, I think I would, in terms of advocacy for yourself, getting a team, understanding your OBGYN office, and making sure you know who that doctor on call could be um, and that they understand you as well. And I think learning as much as possible about, you don't have to be a doctor, but you can learn about your body. You can learn about the symptoms going through. And there's one thing that uh, a mentor of mine told me when she found out I was pregnant and um, when I had my first miscarriage, I've had others after that, um, was that 
she was sat me down. She was like, Tara, pregnancy is the most dangerous thing a woman can do. She said, it's wonderful, but it's the most dangerous thing you can do. And I know some women, they just want to think about the good stuff, right? But you don't, you can know that the bad stuff is there and not dwell on it and still have a positive experience. You, you should know if your blood pressure is going up. You should know if your urine smells different. You mm -hmm. should know if you see, you know, spotting or if, you know, what your blood pressure should be, the range it should be. You don't have to, to know everything. And, you know, thank God I watch certain videos. My family is in the medical vision. I think the one show called The Midwife. Um, hmm. <laughs> that is show that a good show? I haven't really, seen it. Yeah, it is. It's a good show. Um, and I'm glad I watched. I used to watch that show all the time because I love Masterpiece Theater and stuff. And um, I remember a, a, an episode where a woman was very swollen. And she had preeclampsia and, um, and that some reason that stuck into my head. And that's why I kept being insistent. Like, let's go, let's go. And not let people tell me, oh no, just rest and wait. Cause that's what they wanted me to do. Cause they thought that'd be the best thing. But I was like, no, Monday morning, we're going to the hospital. We're going to my doctor. We're going to my doctor. You know, at that point, I don't even think I wanted to go to the hospital because I'm like, I can't trust them. <laughs> Right. Because they're not going right. to listen to me. Right. And because so, once the walls of trust are broken, it's really hard to mm -hmm. get that to get that back. So the best way is to try to avoid that at all costs by being yeah. informed. Like you like you're saying, just having an having yeah. an informed pregnancy all around. And I think it was really exactly. great what you said in terms of you don't have to dwell on it. You know, because I, I, you know, words are powerful. Beliefs are powerful. You don't want to go into the delivery, the delivery room already feeling like, oh, something bad is going to happen. And I don't think most of us have those thoughts, but exactly. it is important to, to be informed so that if something should happen out of the ordinary or feel that you are in tune and that you are in, in a place to trust your intuition and your gut. Yeah. What you say? And that's an exactly. And that's another thing I would tell anybody about advocating for yourself. Don't care how stupid you look. It doesn't matter. Uh, you don't you know feel like you want to inconvenience someone. No inconvenience them and demand to be looked at. Even if it's something and you look like a hypochondriac or whatever, it's okay because you're still walking, you're still alive and you could take care of your child. And I think about there was a woman, a young lady, she, she didn't want to go to the hospital for whatever reason, and she ended up passing away. And her mother had to end up raising her child because, you know, she had high blood pressure. She had just given birth, a, a black woman. And so I'm like, we need to stop thinking like that. We have to like, it, it doesn't matter if I look a fool, I'd rather be a live fool than a dead one. Yeah. I'm going to make as much noise as possible. And also I think for my husband or other husbands out there or other partners out there. You don't need to be a doctor either, but you should know something about what the person could go through or what they could be experiencing. If you see something wrong, hey, your ankles are a little swollen today. You should be paying attention to those. Understanding, just being in tune with each other and, this, and, and then asking the doctor, what are you doing? Backing yeah. up your partner like, hey, she asked, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I know now my husband knows because he's experienced it um but if we do over again it'd be a whole different situation it's like yo you're not doing that you're gonna have to explain to us why you're doing that and if that doctor is worth anything then they will answer you and if not don't be afraid to get rid of that doctor and say you know what i think we need a new doctor if there's anything that you would want leilani to know about her birth story what is it that you would want her to know? What I would want her to know is that she was worth fighting for. So it, it, it didn't matter what was going to happen. I was going to fight to spend one more day with her. <laughs> hmm. That's beautiful. It's better to look like a fool in front of the doctor and get it wrong than to be, you know, suffering later. And you may not have the story of coming back. You know, we don't want to think that way, but it's, I'd rather look like a fool now. <laughs>
And I'll yeah. keep asking those questions. Um, I'll keep and I'll keep advocating for myself now that I know how important it is and how my voice can get lost behind all the things that, you know, in this world that, you know, all the stereotypes about black women. And so now I know my voice can get lost. I'm going to scream even louder. And if I look more foolish, then, hey, I can get more foolish than this. It's worth it for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right. Thank yeah. you, Tara. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Tara, for telling your story. I know it's going to have the impact that you want it to, which is to help people understand the power of their voices throughout their maternity experience. U.S. Senator Cory Booker, Representatives Alma Adams and Lauren Underwood, along with the amazing work of Black Mamas Matter Alliance, introduced a resolution recognizing Black Maternal Health Week to bring national attention to the maternal health crisis in the United States and the importance of reducing maternal mortality and morbidity among Black women and birthing persons. The Black Mamas Matter Toolkit is a resource for advocates who are concerned about the health and well-being of Black women and girls. It takes a human rights-based approach to maternal health, identifying the rights of pregnant and birthing parents, and the corresponding role of government to ensure safe and respectful maternal health care for all. To learn more, please visit blackmamasmatter.org. And for more information on HELP syndrome, please visit preeclampsia.org. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe and follow wherever you're listening to right now. Take care of yourselves and each other. See you next week.